Welcome, and let's first talk compliance. I'm Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager at First Healthcare Compliance. Thanks for tuning in. You can follow First Healthcare Compliance on Twitter at FirstHCC or on Facebook and Instagram at First Healthcare Compliance or hashtag FirstTalkCompliance. On today's episode, we are speaking with Elizabeth Sullivan, Esquire, and Emily A. Johnson, Esquire, members at McDonald Hopkins, LLC, about the topic of eliminating kickbacks in Recovery Act, ECRA, and in October of 2018, the Eliminating Kickbacks in Recovery Act, ECRA, was signed into law as part of the Larger Support Act. It is an important piece of legislation impacting the healthcare industry. As a violation, it is punishable by a fine of up to $200,000 and or imprisonment of up to 10 years for each occurrence. We will discuss a wide range of topics related to ECRA, including an overview and understanding of the Eliminating Kickbacks and Recovery Act, talk about the similarities and differences between ECRA and the federal anti-kickback statute, and obtain an understanding regarding prohibited compensation structures. Liz and Emily, thank you so much for joining me today on First Talk Compliance. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. Let's get started. Can you provide some background on ECRA and an overview of where the regulation stands today? Sure. So this is Emily. Um, Catherine noted that ECRA was published in 2018. It was uh, became effective October 24th of 2018. Um, and as Catherine noticed, it was passed as part of the Support Act which was intended to address America's opioid epidemic. Um, it was actually pulled through at the, at the midnight hour, um, and ECRA was originally drafted to stand on its own. But like I said, it was kind of added to the Support Act at the last minute. Um, and so what makes this particularly difficult to navigate is we don't have much legislative intent as a result of that. Um, but ECRA impacts recovery homes, clinical treatment facilities, and laboratories. It, um, it applies to all payers, not just federal payers, which sets it apart from its uh, counterpart, the anti-kickback statute, um, which you know we have historically come to understand as only being applicable to situations involving reimbursement from the federal payers like Medicare, Medicaid, or other federal programs. Um, so ECRA actually extends similar kick, anti-kickback type prohibitions to private payers as well. And this is important because in the past, certain providers have been able to circumvent the anti-kickback statute and Stark Law by structuring their arrangement in a manner in which no claims are submitted to federal payers, only claims are submitted to private payers or cash pay patients, and so ECRA actually now makes that not possible, right? You can't have that same circumvention that you had in the past. Um, so any conduct that is prohibited under ECRA applies to claims that are submitted to both the government and to private payers. Um, and like I said, it basically extends some of those in a kickback type prohibitions to, to any payer. And I can get into a little bit about the prohibited conduct to the extent it's helpful. So ECRA is an intent-based statute. It 
essentially prohibits the knowing and willful solicitation or receipt of remuneration directly or indirectly for referring a patient or patronage to a recovery home, clinical treatment facility, or lab um, to induce a referral of an individual to the recovery home facility or lab or in exchange for an individual using the services of that recovery home clinical treatment facility or lab. It's similar to Anna Kickback in that it is an intent-based statute. If the statute is violated, there are criminal penalties, actually, of a fine of not more than $200,000 per offense or a term of imprisonment of not more than 10 years. You know, one of the other things that can happen if you violate ECRA is you could face termination of your payer contract because many payer contracts include language that essentially states that by agreeing to the contract, you agree to comply with all applicable rules and regulations. So pursuant to that language, you agree to comply with ECRA as well. So if you violate the terms of ECRA, you, you can violate the terms of the payer contract. What really turned the medical world upside down in connection with ECRA was this concept of it applying to a laboratory. Like I said, there wasn't much legislative intent to figure out what Congress really intended here with including a laboratory. Some suspect that it's meant to just apply to laboratories that directly perform testing on substance abuse patients um, or are somehow connected to the substance abuse industry, but that's not how the definition of laboratory is drafted. It's much broader than that. It's drafted as the definition is under the CLIA regs, which is essentially any laboratory, um, anatomic or clinical. Even folks that are outside of the substance abuse space but still performing testing on um, human specimens are subject to ECRA. So then to whom does ECRA apply? Yeah, so this is Liz. ECRA actually, what's interesting about ECRA is that it applies to both government payer programs but also private insurers. So it's different from previous regulations around healthcare arrangements in that it covers both government programs and private insurance. Great, thank you. So does the law apply to private payment for lab services? So yes, it does. And that's what separates ECRA from some of its federal counterparts. The other regulations that we typically are dealing with in a kickback, False Claims Act and the Stark Law relate to claims submitted to federal payers for reimbursement. And ECRA applies not only to those, but also to private payers. So any, any program to which a claim is submitted, whether it's private or federal, will be subject to ECRA. Then what is your opinion on the inclusion of laboratories and how they compensate their W-2 and 1099 representatives. And then what's your opinion on legislatures and correcting this unintended consequence? Because labs were added at the very last minute before the Support Act and ultimately ECRA were passed, there was some discussion at the very beginning or right after the the law was enacted that perhaps it wasn't intended to include laboratories or perhaps it was only intended to 
affect laboratories that were performing toxicology uh, services or were otherwise in the sort of treatment space. But ultimately, over time, the longer that sort of the healthcare attorney community has been evaluating this, I think at this point, based on some informal feedback from the government, the government's really taking the position that, you know, the definition of laboratories that was used in ECRA is any clinical laboratory. It, it is the same definition of laboratory that's used in the CLIA framework, and, and CLIA is the Clinical Laboratory Improvements Act of 1988 and really covers clinical laboratories generally. And so at this point, um, there's nothing there, there's nothing that we have um, been made aware of that would indicate to us that the government is only going to apply this to labs that are in the toxicology space. So pretty much any laboratory that's operating today has to take into consideration ECRA for purposes of analyzing its business practices. As you sort of alluded to, Catherine, in your question, um, one of the big unintended consequences or challenges that laboratories are facing today is that many labs, whether they're performing toxicology services or they're completely outside of um, the clinical treatment area or substance abuse area, have sales representatives. And typically those sales representatives, whether they're W-2s or 1099s, are being compensated on a commission basis. The way that ECRA was put together it has a prohibition, of course, as Emily was explaining, it has a prohibition on paying a person essentially in exchange for the volume or value of business that they are directing towards the lab or the other types of facilities. And so because of that, and while there is an exception for certain types of compensation arrangements, the ECRA exception is expressed. It's expressed in stating that that compensation arrangement cannot take into consideration the volume or value of referrals, regardless of whether it's an employee or an independent contractor. So as a practical matter, what ECRA's done is it has eliminated the ability of laboratories to compensate their sales team, whether they're W-2s or 1099s, on a commission basis. That clearly is challenging for many labs because under the anti-kickback statute framework, the, the statute itself and then the rules and regs surrounding it and the commentary that's been out there for many years, the way that it's evolved, um, most laboratories felt comfortable employing individuals and paying them on a commission basis because there is an exception to the anti-kickback statute or a safe harbor, an exception or safe harbor that permits compensation to be variable if the individual is employed by the laboratory. So most labs have structured, historically have structured their sales sales team uh, compensation and employment based on the anti-kickback statute and ECRA is more strict and eliminates that, or it doesn't recognize the anti-kickback safe harbor. So regardless of whether it's a W-2 or a 1099, paying them a variable compensation based on the work, the volume of work that's coming in from their accounts is problematic under ECRA. And right now, we are hopeful. We, we've heard from stakeholders and advocates that are communicating with the government. And it's our understanding that there are clarifying regulations that will be coming out. And we're certainly hopeful that that's going to recognize the anti-kickback statute bona fide employee safe harbor. But at this point, it's unclear. We don't know for certain that that's going to happen, but we're hopeful that it will. 
So should labs change their Salesforce compensation methods ASAP or should they wait for new regs to come out or what should happen? Yeah, it's a great question. This is Liz again. Um, it's a tough one. We've got lots of clients that are wrestling with this and have been wrestling with this since the law was enacted in October of 2018. The, I guess the, the brief short answer is yes. Ideally, labs are changing their structure, their compensation structure in compliance with ECRA. But as a practical matter, you know, what we've heard from many, many clients is that whole industry, the whole laboratory sales industry is structured primarily on a commission basis. So it puts any laboratory that's contemplating, you know, changing their sales forces structure at a competitive disadvantage and is really challenging. And frankly, I don't think sales folks necessarily recognize the implications of ACRA. And so for many of our clients, what they're doing today is they're still taking a wait and see approach, which you know, it gets tough to do the further we are from October of 2018. But we do have clients in, that have started the process of identifying how they're going to change the structure and what they're going to do with respect to compliance with ECRA, but are sort of holding on, hoping that those clarifying regulations will come out sooner rather than later. So on the risk spectrum, we've got super conservative clients that are changing over, but there aren't many because of the the challenges that that presents from an operational and a business standpoint. Then we've got a lot of clients that are planning on how they're going to convert and are sort of, you know, educating themselves and educating their team, um, but kind of holding on. We've got some clients that are delaying commissions, uh, waiting to see what will happen. And then we've got others that are really taking a wait and see approach and have not, have not started the process of trying to figure out what is compensation going to look like if, the clarifying regulations don't allow a commission-based structure for employees. So we've, I would say from a conservative standpoint, it, it makes sense to really start thinking about changing the structure and potentially actually implementing a change structure. Um, but we also recognize that there's a lot of clients out there that this is going to be a challenge for them. So it's really, it's really across the spectrum. Okay, perfect. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to First Talk Compliance, and my guests today are Elizabeth Sullivan, Esquire, and Emily A. Johnson, Esquire, members of McDonald Hopkins, LLC, about the topic of eliminating kickbacks in Recovery Act, ECRA. So how are the violations to be reported? Is there an anonymous tip line, or how is that happening? As far as not an anonymous tip line, I'm not certain, but I would imagine that there is a, um, a a way to notify. Typically, how a violation is going to come up would be either a competitor notifies the government that they have suspicion or an allegation that you are violating ECRA, um, or it could come up through a whistleblower at an organization, so a key TAM issue where somebody um, alerts the government to the proposed violation. And in another way, it could also come up, which we're seeing in the transactional world, is through the buying or selling of a practice. So, you know, when you go through the, the diligence process, the due diligence process in a, a deal, one of the things that the attorneys involved will look at is compliance with laws. So they'll actually review contracts and agreements um, and policies and procedures 
that describe all aspects of the organization, but in particular, they will review contracts on sales and marketing representatives. And if there is some sort of compensation structure that does not comply with ECRA, then that will be raised as a flag for the deal team because inevitably there will be some sort of representation or warranty in the purchase agreement that essentially states that the seller has complied with all laws. Well, ECRA has been on the book since October of 2018. And if a organization is still paying their sales and marketing reps on a percentage basis, then you can't actually make that representation because to pay a sales and marketing rep a percentage basis is a violation of ECRA. So it's something to carefully consider, particularly if you're thinking of selling your business or you're thinking of buying a business. Um, I think it comes more into play for, for those considering selling their business, but you want to make sure that when you come to that negotiation table, your business is operating as smoothly as possible, which means that part of that means that you are complying with all applicable laws. So it, now would be the time to clean up those agreements to make sure that they are compliant, compliant with ECRA if you intend to enter into a transaction in the near future. Otherwise, I think, you know, we have to really be concerned about the whistleblowers, too, because whistleblowers have a stake in anything that's recovered um, by the government in connection with a violation of ECRA. So, you know, if, if there really is grounds for reporting a violation, I think it's something that you need to take seriously and reevaluate your compensation structure. You know, Liz touched on this before, but... It, when we were talking about ECRA in November, December, January, people were taking the wait and see approach. Um, now we're coming on nearly a, a year since it's been in place. And I don't think we can take that approach anymore. We need to start consciously making decisions of how to comply with ECRA. And the unfortunate reality is that doing so turns the sales and marketing world upside down because Historically, sales reps have been compensated a certain manner, and now now we can't do that. So, and of course, nobody wants to be the first to make that change. So, it it's a very difficult time to comply with the law, and to do so is frustrating because, as Liz said, there's substantial precedent from the OIG under the anti-kickback statute and commentary that they've issued in connection therewith that states that a commission-based structure is okay if you do it for a W-2 employee. So there, there's a lot to be mindful of when considering where a violation could arise. Very good. Thank you. And how about other labs? How are they handling their marketing representatives' reimbursement? Sure. This is Liz again. Um, and I think, I, I think I might have mentioned this, and Emily's kind of alluded to it as well. A lot of labs that are sort of mid-level and folks that we work with regularly I mean, we are seeing uh, sort of the spectrum. I would say at this point, um, we probably have, and Emily, please weigh in as well. I, I would say that clients are definitely taking active steps to address it, whether they have actually rolled out a new compensation structure at this point. I don't think I could say a majority of our labs have done that, um, our lab clients, but at the same time, I think many of them are coming up with their alternative structure that they are going to implement probably sooner rather than later if, if clarifying regulations aren't released soon. 
Do you think that's fair, Emily? What would you add to that? I do. So I think also what we're seeing among our clients, for better or worse, is that those that are directly in the space, meaning labs that are doing toxicology testing, we're seeing a little bit more aggression towards changing their sales and marketing force just because they are in the space that ECRA seeks to directly regulate. Um, I think there's been a little bit more hesitation among some of our anatomic pathology clients or, you know, genetic testing clients who aren't in, directly in that space. Now, certainly we always advise our clients that it doesn't matter, right, the way ECRA is drafted. If you're performing any laboratory testing, you're subject to ECRA. So in our minds, regardless of the form of testing you're doing, you should, sub, you should draft your sales and marketing agreements in a manner that complies with ECRA, which is essentially a flat fee. Our clients have to evaluate that based on their business needs and what is best for their business. And I, I have seen that, you know, the ones that are maybe less associated with the toxicology space are more inclined to still take this wait and see approach, which quite frankly gives me heartburn. Um, but I, I understand where they're coming from, though I don't bless that arrangement. Well, speaking of toxicology, I have a question concerning that. What type of compensation structure do you think would comply with ECRA for the sales representative, understanding that toxicology lab, they pay the most for their employees, for their W-2 employees in the commission-based salary, which complies with the anti-kickback safe harbor, but could violate ECRA? What's your feeling on that? Our preferred approach is a flat fee, right? Let's let's draft an arrangement that's in compliance with ECRA. The only way to do that is a flat fee. So that is the preferred approach or the recommended approach. If for some reason that doesn't work, you could, though we don't recommend this, you could pay a sales representative a W-2 sales representative under a commission-based structure if you are willing to take on the risk that you have the precedent from the OIG that says you can do exactly that. And that precedent has been on the books for years. There's a, both a safe harbor and an exception to the anti-kickback statute for payment um, to bona fide employees. And if it ever came to it, you feel comfortable defending an ECRA violation with the anti-kickback precedent by essentially stating that your arrangement meets meets the precedent and is structured in a manner that complies with that precedent. Um, that is not without risk. Right now, we do have this suspicion that there is guidance coming that is going to pull through those safe harbors. So maybe it's less risky right now, but we can't say that with certainty. If there is guidance on the books, the likelihood of enforcement could be lower, but again, the conversations that we've had with folks who've spoken directly with the government is, listen, ECRA's on the books the way it's currently written, and it wasn't our intent, but if we want to enforce it that way, we can. That's not helpful when figuring out how to structure these arrangements. In fact, it's, it's pretty scary that the government will acknowledge that this wasn't the intent, but they can go ahead and find people criminally in connection with ECRA. So, I mean, this is kind of a roundabout way of saying absolutely do it as a flat fee basis, particularly because you're in the space that's directly to be regulated. But if you have risk tolerance, 
you could, if you are comfortable taking on that risk, structure it based on the anti-kickback statute, but that is not without significant risk. Yeah, and just to jump in, this is Liz, I guess the other thing, if you're thinking about, you know, we've had some clients entertain alternative structures for paying out some type of bonus, not not kind of a traditional commission basis, um, but different different types of bonuses and what would those be based on. And that can be a challenge too, right, because it's, folks need to be very careful that what they're not doing is just disguising the commission but getting to the same place and using the same metrics kind of behind the scenes or behind the curtain. But presumably, if, if there's sort of a thoughtful process by which to determine some key performance indicators that are not directly linked or don't, you know, sort of directly um, follow volume or value, but has more to do with the work that the individual is putting in or the, you know, different types of um, time that they have to devote and spend to uh, their duties and the client accounts that they're responsible for, or if there's just a general sort of um, bonus that is equally split amongst a particular position, uh, those might be things that are closer to acceptable under ECRA. But I do caution, again, that even in those situations, if it's a variable comp, it has to be uh, really well thought out. It, it's, a, it's a very good idea, and I'd strongly recommend that healthcare counsel, your healthcare counsel is consulted as you're going through this to make sure that, you know, you've thought about all of the different angles and perspectives to make sure that if you do do something, some other sort of alternative bonus structure, that it's not, it's not ultimately ending up in the same place or sort of um, unintentionally following the same metrics that the commission, the traditional commission would have done. So, so a bonus could be compliant. It just has to be set up in a certain, in a certain way. Yes, I think there's there's a pathway to do it, but I think as kind of Emily alluded to, um, it, it's just it's a tough it's a tough path forward to figure out what is going to be acceptable to the government to make sure that they don't feel that's that's varying based on the value of the work that's being um, being or sort of is re that individual's responsible for. So so there's a pathway forward, um, but it is one that needs to be carefully considered. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Liz and Emily, so much. I really appreciate you coming on to First Talk Compliance. Of course. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. And thanks to our audience for tuning in to First Talk Compliance. You can learn more about the show on our programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at FirstHCC or hashtag FirstTalkCompliance. You can also email me at Catherine Short at FirstHCC.com. I'm Catherine Short of First Healthcare Compliance. Remember, compliance is the key to achieving peace of mind. <laughs>